Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Hits Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Welcome to Golf Talk Live with your host, Ted Odorico. Join Ted each week as he speaks with some of the best in golf. This week's special guest will join us a bit later. But first up is another great discussion on Coach's Corner. So let's introduce tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right. Good evening, everybody. And as always, welcome to Golf Talk Live. We are live every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on the blogtalkradio.com network. And I just want to thank each and every one of you for uh, joining us this evening. I think we're going to have a great show. We've, uh, as mentioned uh, in the intro, we're going to have a a great discussion on Coach's Corner. I'm going to introduce uh, the panel here in just a moment. And then a little bit later on, I'm going to be joined by my very special guest. She is the author of Building of a Champion, and she's also a member of the LPGA's teacher, uh, teach, and, excuse me, and club professionals. And uh, her name is Avis Brown-Riley. She'll be joining us uh, on the second half of the show. Uh, <clears throat> pardon me, excuse me. Uh, but first, let's, uh, let's jump right into Coach's Corner. Let me introduce uh, tonight's panel. Uh, joining me is Jamie Leno-Zemron. She is a Class A LPGA teacher professional, as well as a sixth-degree Aikido black belt. Uh, it's also a somatic uh, psychologist, corporate speaker, and mind-body fitness trainer. Uh, she also graduated uh, Phi Beta Kappa at Stanford University, and she's the creator of Kiai Golf, the Centered Way. Also uh, joining me on the panel tonight is Paul Castor. He is one of the country's leading golf coaches and has been recognized by Golf Digest as one of the country's best teachers since 2017. He's been twice honored uh, by U.S. Kids Golf as one of their top 50 kids go- uh, coaches. Uh, he works with golfers of all skill levels, including professionals who have competed in majors. Uh, 17 of his junior clients uh, have qualified for the World Championships held each year at Pinehurst Resort. And he serves on the advisory boards of Foresight Sports and 4D Motion Sports and is Level 2 uh, certified and junior certified uh, with TPI. And uh, he is also Aimpoint Golf and Science and Motion Sports, Level 3 certified super speed golf coach. So, uh, guys, welcome to Coach's Corner Panel here on Golf Talk Live. Thank you, Ted. So really happy to be us, here. Chad. I appreciate it. Thank you, as always, uh, giving of your time. I know it's not always easy as we rush home from uh, our lessons and, and various different things, uh, other commitments that we have. So I, I really do appreciate, uh, I can't emphasize that enough, um, how um, appreciative I am that you guys are always able to uh, join in. Uh, on these discussions. So uh, a few weeks ago, I had a uh, discussion on the panel, and I'm going to do it again tonight for a specific reason. I want to get some different opinions, if, if you don't mind, um, and, and it's always good. And I'm going to obviously rephrase the questions maybe a little bit differently, but um, the, the overall theme of tonight is what makes a good golf coach? Um, you know, I sort of come, came across uh, some different traits uh, that I think are most important when it comes to being a, a good golf coach or a good golf instructor, uh, 
Uh, and so if you're going to spend time and money, I think these are things that uh, students would expect from us. So uh, I'm going to start, uh, uh, Jamie, if you don't mind, with you and then, and then Paul. And, and the question is, again, the same for both of you, uh, but I'm going to maybe rephrase it just a little bit um, uh, for each of you. But uh, the first one is, I think, number one, you have to be a, a good communicator. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is, um, obviously, you know, as we get new students particularly, uh, or maybe at the beginning of a season, uh, we, we um, you know, do an assessment with our students, kind of get an idea of where they're at uh, and so forth. But um, I think what becomes important is a certain clarity um, in, in communicating with our students. So talk to me uh, or explain a little bit to the audience, uh, Jamie, with, starting with you and then Paul, um, what are some of the key, uh, I think, as far as you're concerned, some of the key components of becoming a, uh, being a good communi- a communicator excuse me, uh, with your students? You know, when you ask this question, what makes a good golf coach, I just started to jot down a couple notes and you know, a few words here. And I was just writing the word communicator when you said it out loud. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think that that is essential because, you know, you can have knowledge, you can have passion, you can have, you can have a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But if you can't communicate it and communicate it in a way that your student understands you and gets it and can do something with whatever information or or exercise or tip or whatever you're you're offering to them it really it doesn't it doesn't go anywhere unless the student gets it and gets it in a way that they can use so um which then goes more to your question so what are some of those elements of communication uh in a good coach and so there are a number of them i think the first is and we may not think about this so much but it's presence you need to really be there and be be pleasant, be interested, not be distracted, you, not be in your own agenda um, so that you can actually be there in the moment and be with the person who's who you're with and then being sensitive and aware of them. And some of that is related to uh, training, for example, in what kind of learner are they? And we, we talk about this. Are they more visual, auditory, kinesthetic? I mean, we're all, all of those, but... You know, as you work with a person and as you listen to them and you watch them, there are cues and clues so that you can uh, begin to understand what's kind of the, the best kinds of metaphors, the best kinds of ways of interacting with the person and offering them information. Um, and also having the ability yourself as a communicator to span that so that you could give visual kinds of information or feedback. You could do that uh, through verbal and auditory. You could do that through touch and kinesthetic um, so, you know, you have to have a pretty good repertoire there yourself, um, right, right and left brain, you know, more of kind of a feel person, more analytical, and being able to discern that. So those are um, elements of communication. Uh, presence is really important. I think openness and availability and real interest um, and interest to, uh, to have a conversation so that it's not just a one-way you know, teacher, student, mm-hmm. I tell you, right, um, top down, right. I kind of I dictate it to you. In the LPGA, we call it student-centered uh, instruction. And so it's very important to have the student at the center of things and be working with that particular individual. And, you know, um, I, think, I think that availability and that sort of two-way conversation and interaction, at the same time knowing they're coming to you because you do have expertise, you are a professional. So, you know, it's fine to prefer that, but it's how you do it. And so those are some of the elements that, you know, I think that, that go into 
uh, offering that in a, in a a way that connects. It's it's all about that connection, communication. Yeah. I, I- I couldn't agree more. A great way to put it. And, and Paul, I, I know I'm sure you concur with a lot of uh, what Jamie just said and, and maybe have some other things that you want to offer. But one of the things that, that I find you know, that we have to be careful of, and I think for a while in golf instruction, coaching, however you, you want to label it, um, we tended to put students in the same box. And so a lot of the coaching was very similar. It was uh, sort of uh, in, in that you know, uh, mindset of, well, we've got to do this and we've got to do that. And as Jamie pointed out, uh, a lot of times it was, okay, I'm going to tell you what to do and you just need to do it. Um, but a lot has changed. Um, and I think also, too, one of the things that we've kind of thankfully gotten away from is using a lot of some of the buzzwords. Um, again, part of the communication is doing it at a level that the student can understand, not so much what uh, showing them what we know but what they're able to understand. So as you're communicating with your students, whether it be through coaching programs or even just through general instruction, what are some of the things that you try to really respond to uh, and make sure that you put in the forefront? Um, you know, I'm, uh, I, I agree with so much of what Jamie said. She covered so many of the bases. Um, I think uh, being very tuned in <clears throat> And present, but tuned in and listening to what the student is or the client is telling you, and making sure that you hear their responses and that you kind of are aware as they're telling you what their thoughts about the golf swing are and they're responding to your questions. I, I tend to ask a lot of questions in, in the beginning uh, of relationship, the new student assessment, and. Um, when listening to somebody and they're answering your questions, you can get a pretty good idea of where they are with their golf game and how they think about golf and tuning into that and, and then trying to tailor your communication to where they are, not just skill wise, but in mm-hmm. terms of the way they think. So there are people who are very analytical are very conscientious and want to know what the right thing is. Might not necessarily, you know, it could be generally like what's the right thing, not just what's correct for them. Um, and so you have to, there are also other people who just want things kept very basic and, and uh, maybe not as detailed. So being aware as you're listening to somebody and you're, and you're getting to know them of how they are kind of asking for information and, um, and how it can be communicated back to them is really important. I use a lot of technology mainly because it's there are tools, A, that help me see things that I believe the human eye can't see, uh, like how we put pressure into the ground and force and how we're moving, you know, at a very high rate of speed, uh, things that 2D video can't see. But I'm using those things really as illustration tools for clients to help them understand what the most important things are for their improvement and then also how, you know, really what is exactly happening so that they can kind of translate that into a new movement. So, you know, illustrating is very important um, and, and really listening and being with that person, like Jamie said, and being present um, for that time is, uh, is, is really, really important. Yeah, uh, some great answers there as well. And, 
you know, I think, guys, one of the things is as part of communication with somebody is, you know, as, as Jamie, you pointed out, and, and Paul as well, is it, it's not to be one-sided. You know, we, we have to, as, uh, as part of the communication process, have to be good listeners as well. Um, and I like to, you know, when I'm working with somebody, particularly in the very beginning, is I like to ask a lot of open-ended questions, meaning that I want to get them to talk. Uh, because there's nothing worse as an instructor and you're just standing there and you're rambling off, you know, whatever it is you're doing, and they're not really responsive. They're, they're listening, uh, perhaps, but, um, you know, if you're doing 90% of the talking and they're not engaged, then a lot of times what I find at the end of the session, you know, when we go over, we sort of recover things to make sure there's a lot of, you know, area maybe that they, they were confused about, but they, they didn't get an opportunity or chose not to what, for whatever reason, whether they were shy or what have you. So I like to ask and get them talking very early on in the process to find out first off and foremost why they're there. You know, are they just looking to play recreationally or, or are they somebody that really wants to uh, play at a higher level of competitive golf? So I want to find out why they're there first and foremost. And I want to make sure before I start communicating any of my ideas or suggestions or recommendations uh, or, or thoughts, uh, I want to get an idea of what it is they're looking for um, to make sure that we're, we're going to be on the same page. Um, there's no sense in going through a series of, of lessons and then finding out that it's not really what the student was looking for because that's, uh, again, part of the communication process. Um, the second one is really a trait, if you will, of being a good golf coach is – is really being a great connector. And uh, Jamie, I'm going to go with you on this again, uh, first off. And, and that is what I mean by a great connector is, you know, let's be honest. We, we don't know everything. We certainly have a good knowledge. The longer we're in this business, we, we develop uh, certainly a lot of knowledge and a lot of confidence in what we're doing. But I think it's also good to acknowledge when there's something maybe you're not as, as – um, familiar with or maybe you you don't specialize in a certain area to have connections within the industry of somebody that can maybe bring something to help maybe it's a a fitness a golf fitness instructor or uh, a physical uh, fitness instructor whatever that case may be so jamie i think it's important to have good connections so that we can not only give them the best of what we've got but we can bring other resources to bear if need be Um, what are your thoughts here well i think that you know, the, uh, in a sense, the humility is what you're talking about. Um, the right. humility to know right. what you, <laughs> you know, what you can really offer and, and where you maybe don't have that expertise. For example, um, mm. you know, uh, club fitting. Club fitting is not my expertise. I'm very happy to refer. But as you say, I need to have mm. the places and the, the um, colleagues to refer to. Um, I happen to be really strong on fitness or mental game. So those mm-hmm. are things I can't do. But, um, you know, some, uh, I'm, uh, somebody may not have that uh, ability and they want to be able to definitely include that in the student's program, in the student's training. So, um, you know, as you say, having, having the connections and also having the willingness to not just be thinking about, oh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose their 100 or 150 bucks, you know, if I send them over to somebody else right. um, or whatever the amount of money is. Um, you know, you can't really think of it that way. It's more... I think important to think about the the whole program for the student, and which gets me to what I always term a, a holistic approach. And you know, in mm-hmm. the past, I think we've thought of a golf lessons. Let's go take a golf lesson. And I think sometimes students even have that in mind. It's like, 
okay, I'm going to book 30 or 60 minutes so that uh, you can tell me what I'm doing wrong and give me some tweak, some technical tweak or fix, and that's what a golf lesson is. And I think today we're looking more at, um, you know, more of a, um, a holistic approach, basically, which um, to improve at golf isn't only to get a technical kind of um, tip or something or technical instruction. That's part of it. Obviously, we need to know technique and be working on that. But, you know, we have clubs. We have mental game. We have a sort of mental emotional game. We have physical fitness. We, of course, management. Uh, th- there's... Um, uh, you know the, the business aspect, the social aspect. You know, all these, all these elements are going on in a person, and in terms of communication as well, right? We need to know that we're mm-hmm. dealing with a whole human being, and that golf improvement. Somebody may just want a lesson and fix this or that, but if they're on a real golf development and golf improvement program, that's a more rounded out, more holistic picture. And then it's kind of like, well. You know, we may not, uh, the average golfer may not want or need or have the ability to have a whole entourage like the tour pros do, right? <laughs> they got their mm-hmm. they right. just and the other things. You don't need necessarily all of that. But, you know, there may be a couple of other people to bring in uh, to the team. Or, you know, you're the center for them. I think it's important to have a really strong connection with your instructor. With your instructor. At the same time, maybe um, work with the instructor uh, to go to uh, somebody who's got a greater expertise in one of those areas, or pick out maybe an intensive golf school experience that might be helpful, helpful for the student. But to do that within a context of a holistic program that you and the student are working on in a really conscious way. Yeah, that's a, that's a really great point. And, again, it's not necessarily, uh, Paul, about, um, you know, passing off somebody to somebody else. You don't even necessarily have to directly refer them. Um, there may be situations where uh, you know somebody who specializes in something that you can reach out to them and say, hey, I've got a student here. Um, I could really use some help. They can maybe give you uh, some information that then you can later relay to your student in a, in a given area that maybe you don't specialize in. And I think, you know, the student, uh, would you agree, would, would probably really appreciate that rather than somebody sort of fumbling through uh, a specific area or topic that they're really not very adverse in. What, what are your thoughts here? I mean, are, are these things that you've tried to incorporate somewhat? I mean, obviously, I know you're TPI certified and, and certified in a lot of different areas, but there may be some areas that, that even you, uh, as an experienced coach, may say, you know what, I, I'm going to reach out to one of my partners here or an affiliate of mine that maybe can bring some other resources to bear that we can help this particular student out. What, what are your thoughts? No, I think uh, I think uh, clients, golfers are coming to us for our expertise and to reach their goals, and we have to approach this from a client, golfer-centered kind of view uh, or perspective. Mm-hmm. And I think um, people are time-constrained these days, so uh, a lot of times they may not be able to travel to go see somebody, especially these days. Mm-hmm. Um, right. some of the travel restrictions, you know, but I try to have as much information and knowledge and that golf is so multifaceted, like Jamie just mentioned that, you know, we're trying to figure out how can we best help this person. Um, but that doesn't mean that I think that I'm the foremost expert in all of those different things. Right. So right. I have somebody who, you know, 
if I have somebody who has a uh, an issue that uh, seems physical and beyond what, you know, I, I can help them with by giving them some exercises that I'm familiar with because of my TPI background, I have a, I have a, a very golf knowledgeable uh, physical therapist uh, nearby um, who helps golfers and, and that's part of his practice and I send people to him. I have a remote mm-hmm. partnership with wonderful, uh, very, very accomplished trainers who help my clients via Zoom sometimes. And I consider that mm-hmm. kind of a higher level of care for people who are just mm-hmm. very serious and want the best fitness training. So, you know, that would just be one aspect or example. I think there are amazing club fitters whose businesses are simply finding the, you know, the very best. Uh, club, you know, club set up and shaft set up, and have every option available. And although I do have do do some club fitting, there are going to be people who need and want that higher level. And I'm always, you know, I want to focus on my clients' long-term success and me being their guide, um, mm-hmm. because ultimately that's what I think they're there for. So, right. Exactly, and and great point. And it goes to what what Jamie sort of started off to as well as I think sometimes as coaches and and professionals, you know, we we do have to humble ourselves a little bit. I mean, we try to, you know, garner as much information as we can along the way. Um, But I think we also recognize where areas that um, maybe others have expertise. And, you know, something can be as as simple as as this, uh, you know, giving an example is, again, if you're not somebody that's you know obviously club fitting is a little bit different but you know whether it be golf fitness training and things like that there's a lot of great uh golf fitness trainers out there that um maybe what you can do is if you're not in a position to or or don't necessarily want to do a direct referral many people now of course use video and there's a lot of great videos that you can introduce your uh client to and say hey you know this is somebody who's very experienced in golf fitness training uh or the mental side of the game whatever the case may be these are some things that you may want to do uh away from the golf course and just review and familiarize and get some some tips and pointers and things like that. so there's a lot of a variety and flexibility with that but i just think it's something it's another part of the process as jamie you pointed out you know, we don't have, uh, you know, the average folk out there doesn't have the luxury like many tour pros do that we have an entourage uh, around with it and not necessarily have the time for it uh, because we don't do it. Uh, you know, we're not playing out on the PGA or the LPGA Tour for a living. So, um, you know, I think we try to bring as many resources as we can on our own to bear. Uh, but I think it's good to reach out to others in the industry uh, whenever possible to at least get some knowledge that we can bring back and share uh, with our students to give them a better overall experience. Um, the third one is, I think it's fairly uh, self-explanatory, so I'm going to kind of skip past that one. It is obviously uh, knowledge of the, the swing. I think we uh, would all agree that you have to have some knowledge of the swing. It's not just a matter of the grip and the stance and the posture, uh, but we have to understand how the mechanics of the swing work. Um, so I'm going to kind of skip past if that's okay, because there's a few others I want to get to here, um, and, unless anybody wants to chime in and, and, uh, and offer something there. But I think that's pretty self-explanatory. We need to have an understanding of the basics of the golf swing uh, if we're going to become a coach or, or uh, teacher professional. Uh, the fourth one, uh, Jamie, I'm going to come back to you, and that is really the ability to set up a learning path. Uh, in other words, 
you know, when you have a lesson, you, you need to have clarity, as we've discussed, and uh, on what it takes to get better. And with that clarity in a learning plan, um, you know, we don't want to have everything necessarily fragmented. So, uh, you know, your golf instructor or coach should work with you to provide uh, key information and the overall steps needed to improve. So we need to set up a quality learning path for our students and most importantly, one that is achievable and goals that are realistic. Um, give me your thoughts here on when you're working with students, what you try to do or how you try to frame uh, that procedure or that, uh, that um, uh, setup with your students and making sure that from start to finish they're on a, a progressive path. One place that I start and I emphasize throughout, and this is with beginners as well as people who come, because you know, a lot of people come, they've already uh, been, been at the game for a long time, they've been their plateau, they want to move, they want to improve, they want to drop some strokes off their handicap or break 100, 90, 80, whatever it is. So, you know, people who come at any point, but something that I feel is fundamental to everything is a sense of body, mind, awareness, and control and mastery. So what I mean by that is, you know, we can give all kinds of instruction and we can have, we can have goals, we can have um, notebooks, we can have a thousand things, but we need to, what, what really empowers a person is to, number one, be present in their body, be in command of their body parts, <laughs> be aware of how their mind works and how their body and mind work together. Um, and once they've got that, then, for example, you can, you can give them instruction, right, and they're able to take that in. And they also understand that uh, things aren't learned one time, right? So how often do you have students come yep. and it's like, you know, show me this, tell them to do something or work with them on something, and they do it, you know, they hit half a dozen balls or they do it for half an hour or they try it for two days and then they come back and they go, oh, that didn't work. Yeah. Um, uh, or uh, it takes a while. So when you understand sort of the neurophysiology of learning, the learning process, the repetition it takes to get what we call uh, muscle memory, that comes from having certain uh, practices, we call, you know, drills, practices, and you do them regularly, you do them with some consistency. Um, in the plan is how often are you going to do them? How can you do this drill, for example? Can you uh, set it up so that there's a way you could do it at home as well as getting to the, to the range or on the golf course? Um, so people understand that our body, mind, our neurophysiological learning process takes practice and it takes some time. And so this is how and why we're going about things the way we are. Have patience with that. Also to to practice, you know, to appreciate the value of practice, to make practice fun so that they're into it, and to know that progress then will be steady and consistent. But um, if they have this expectation that, um, you know, they can just kind of get shown something and they ought to be able to just do it right away, and then if they don't or can't, well, you see, either that didn't work or I'm no good. These are patterns, I think, that uh, I've just seen uh, my whole entire life in golf, and <laughs> you know, even today, mm -hmm. right? So, um, so right. I think I think it's important to have some ongoing conversation with a student um, that kind of underlies and is a through thread throughout the, um, the plan that you develop around this process. What is the learning process? What is the practice process? 
how do we get from the mind into the body so that and then so that we can consistently and with some you know growing proficiency and mastery you know make the swing or make this chip shot or make this sand shot or or make this putt um so when we understand that then there's a basis to be working uh, working on working with so it's a through line through everything um I hope that makes some sense. I think that that kind of underlies what you're talking about, and I love that your right. term about a, uh, setting up a quality learning path. So I think, um, you know, as we were talking about a little bit, you know, you got to start with where's the student at. So there's an evaluation mm-hmm. in the beginning, and uh, and then what are a person's um, goals, and they can change over time. But what what's for right now? And then what can we do? What are the steps? What kinds of um, practices do we do? What kinds of drills do we do? How often, et cetera, um, and and have some measurements. Are we making progress with this? What are questions along the way? Corrections, et cetera. And then, okay, so we're getting there. Then, what's the next a next part of the game, or next goal, or next level to reach? So that there is there is a sense of um, of order and of progress and mm-hmm. progression. Right. Well said. And, and yeah, I mean, the, the, the best instructors out there will leave you with some steps to take uh, that will usually include, obviously, some drills or practice routines um, that will uh, help throughout the, the progress. And, and uh, Paul, I, I'm going to move on to the next one because this is sort of a follow-up from that one, and that is the ability to provide, this is the, uh, uh, sort of the fifth step, if you will, of, of what uh, makes a good coach. Uh, and that is the ability to provide feedback. So as a student, obviously, uh, you know, during the process, uh, all learning requires feedback. So whether it's during the lesson or after the lesson uh, or in between, um, students want to be able to seek some sort of feedback from their instructor. So I know, as you mentioned, you use a lot of technology. We're going to talk about technology a little bit later, but um, what I want to get your thoughts here is, Obviously, there is a process. We've, we've had the student in front of us. We've worked with them, um, and we want to give them, obviously, uh, feedback at the time, especially if they're building or making swing changes um, that may be a little bit more involved than just your typical uh, first-time uh, student coming out. So we want to make sure, first and foremost, that the information uh, or feedback uh, that we're giving is accurate, but it's also at the right times. Uh, there's a timing to this as well. What are your thoughts here as far as being able to provide feedback, and what are some of the ways that you do give feedback, not just when you're in front of the student, but when they're away? Are there, is there exchange of information that goes on, whether through video uh, technology or other technology that you're using to communicate both on the lesson tee and when the student's away from the lesson tee? Yeah, so um, there is definitely communication for me with many, many of my clients between lessons. Um, I do quite a bit of remote coaching. Um, Actually have right now a client in Mexico who I've never met in person and a client in Dallas, Texas, who I've never met in person except for via Zoom. So, you know, there are ways that we can provide these days um, with technology uh, feedback that, is going to be nearly equivalent to uh, the kind of measurement that you can do in person when we're talking about uh, the measurement of the golf swing and, and things like that. So I use a 3D app that I was fortunate to be a beta tester for uh, the company starting this summer, and it was actually just released um, today on the App Store called Sportsbox 3D. And um, 
So I have clients, I, I use 3D technology um, oftentimes when people come see me to help people understand, you know, the golf swing is really so much about rotation uh, and bending. And so how we how we need to bend and rotate and extend in the golf swing and what those actual numbers should be. People are, these days are very keyed into numbers and data. And, um, and, you know, for me, just like Jamie mentioned, everything does start with an assessment and you have to assess somebody's physical situation, uh, their biomechanics, everybody's body is set up differently. Um, I've spent time over the years with EA Tischler and, uh, you know, Mike Adams and Terry Rolls and believe very much in some of the things that Mike is, Mike and, you know, Ian, those guys all came up with originally where you, you measure people because they have different kinds of patterns um, depending on their body parts and, uh, and their dimensions. And so when you, when you put all that together and you look at somebody's mobility and then you look at how they're moving and how they're putting their pressure into the ground, you know, with some experience, you can really figure out in a very simple way what that person needs to do uh, with their setup, their grip, and maybe one simple swing key. And then if that information, with that, with that information that we've gathered, they can go and they could be pretty much anywhere now um, and send me video and I can give them continuing feedback and basically help them stay on track with those keys that are important for their kind of initial progress at the full swing or at putting, whatever it, whatever it is, and then be able to say to them, you've actually accomplished what we were trying to do because mm-hmm. the goal was to get you at, you know, this, we'll say 40, per, 40 degrees of pelvis rotation at impact or whatever it was. And so now, you know, are you, are we hitting it better? Which way is the ball going? Uh, helping them understand their ball flight and how it connects to their golf swing. And then, then you can move on to how to play the game and how to think and, um, and understand what they need to do to kind of maintain their golf swing. Um, so definitely there is, there's more and more, uh, there are more and more tools out there to help people maintain some, get some feedback and uh, um, 3D systems and things like that that people can use on their own to help them work on the things that we work on when we're together in person. Great points, uh, uh, Paul. Thank you. Um, Jamie, just to, to add on to that, uh, the, sort of the, the sixth trait, if you will, and that is the ability to provide additional uh, support. Um, but it's a two-way street. You know, Paul just talked about some of the, the ways that, you know, that he can utilize uh, some of the technology out there to reach out and, and further connect with the student and provide them information. But it's a two-way street. We've all fallen into this trap over time where, you know, we've gone through the lesson plan, we've done all these things, we've provided some good information up front, and maybe it might be a couple of weeks before the student comes back and uh, they've probably not done anything. Uh, so we want to kind of have an open door, if you will, Jamie, to allow the student to be able to communicate with us 
Um, and obviously, as Paul pointed out, there's so many easier ways now than maybe what there might have been, you know, even uh, 10 years ago. Um, but that's important as well, because, again, there's nothing worse than, you know, having a, a lesson plan put out today and then the student comes back two weeks and they really didn't understand what you were talking about, um, but didn't ask the, the, the questions or follow up. So what do you try to do from your standpoint to really make sure that the student is, is engaging not only while they're there with you, but when they're away? What are some of the things that, that you uh, try to foster in, in your uh, development uh, with your students? Well, the first thing is what I talked about a little bit earlier, and that is that they have a real understanding of the learning process and and the the value of practice. Practice needs to start to become a word that you hear and you smile. You go, ooh, can't wait, you know? And so uh, <laughs> how, do you, how do you make it fun? Right. You know, it's always sounded like medicine, yeah? Oh, i got to practice. But I can tell you, with a background not only as a golfer but as a martial artist, I look at everything as training, Yeah. And so people mm-hmm. aren't just coming, say, for a lesson here and there. They're really involved in kind of a training program. And that means, hey, you're going to get results. This is going to work. And so you get them excited about that it's going to work. You get ex- them excited about practicing. You give them a lot of ideas. I like to give them ideas about how they can make practice fun um, <clears throat> and engaging and to give them things that they can do at home. So, like, for example, some of my golf fitness, I call Make Your Golf Club Your Health Club, and I've been doing this for over 20 years and far before the pandemic hit, so that people have have practices they can do to improve their fitness, their body-mind connection, their mental focus, um, by and using their golf club, and that they can work on that and develop their golf swing, develop all their golf muscles, their mind-body connection. You can do it right at home, and you're doing it with a golf club. This isn't necessarily... You're going to lay on a yoga mat and you don't know how yoga related to your golf swing, you know. Uh, it relates directly mm-hmm. to the golf swing. You can practice at home. You can use whiffle balls. You can set up targets. You can putt inside. You can uh, use hula hoops as little greens, you know, <laughs> or target areas. I mean, there's so many ways you can practice. You can set up little competitions uh, with your friend, with your partner, your spouse, your kid, whatever. Um, and so that you make it engaging. And I like to uh, really talk with my my students about these things so that they develop a relationship with practice, with training, with regularity, that they understand um, the, sort of the neural um, process by which our brain develops these little dendrites when we practice, and then those dendrites find each other. They connect. Wow, we have a, we have a connection, a neural connection. And then out here we go, wow, that got easier to make that swing or make that movement. <laughs> You're like, oh, and I get it. And now all of a sudden, it's coming more easily. Oh, that's great. Now I can put some nuances or some power into it. But so that they're engaged in a process, and uh, when they're engaged and it is a process and they know it's working and it's fun along the way, it's going to pay off, and and it's not going to pay off. Let's see how it's paying off week to week, month to month, and that's some of the measurements and, um, you know, that, that you're working with them on. And then they're getting out to play and, you know, all these sorts of things. So I think, um, and that, that requires regularity, right? Not only regularity of practice, but things to practice and then communication about it, measurements so that we can tell what's going on, feedback, um, and that there is communication in that whole process. So, again, you know, improvement isn't an event or something that, oh, boom, it happened. It's like it comes about through this training process and that you're engaged in. And when you as the coach 
are engaged, are really engaged together with your student. And the student, the golfer, feels that. They know that you're there. They know they can turn to you. They could text you. They could talk to you. You care. Um, and you know exactly what they're, what they're working with and how they're working with it because they know that you know them and you care about them. And you're, you're developed the plan with them. And you're walking them with them through the plan, along the route of the plan. I think that's when you get success. So, you know, it requires that kind of investment. It's not just the sort of these 30 or 60 minutes in the lesson. Yeah, I, I mean, there's so many components. And, and you know, it's really, really interesting if you sort of listen back to the answers uh, that both of you have given for the various different components, there's sort of an underlining theme, uh, which was really the very first one that we talked about, and that is communication. Um, it's so vital. I mean, I don't care what level you teach at, whether it be beginning golfers uh, or pro uh, tour level. Um, you've got to be able to communicate your message effectively and there has to be an open dialogue at all times with the student because if one or the other breaks down or there is a lack of communication, then you know complication sets in, un- misunderstandings set in, uh, difficulties learning. It's, it's, a, it's a journey and a process and there's so many components and I think you know, obviously, as we develop as human beings, we become more in tune with what's going on. And this brings us to this last one. And, Paul, I'm going to start with you, but this is really something that I want both of you to, to sort of chime in on. But, I'll, uh, Paul, I'll start with you. Uh, you know, the game has, has really had some incredible technology advancements that's not only able to help the golfers grow, uh, but also to help instructors provide better information uh, during the, you know, uh, the lessons. Uh, many of the top instructors and now most of the instructors uh, certainly have access to a variety of different uh, launch monitors like TrackMan and FlightScope and there's some others. Um, and now there's a, sort of a mini version, if you will, or a mobile version uh, that's available not only for the instructors but even for uh, the average person out there that wants to spend a little bit of money uh, can actually have that information right at hand. Uh, talk a little bit about some of the technology. I know you've already mentioned some, Paul, um, that you currently use that you really find helps dial in on some of the things that you, you want to make sure that you understand. But I also want you to approach this from a standpoint, and Jamie, this is when I'm going to get you to jump in, is, is sometimes too uh, much technology, can it also be a hindrance? Uh, but go ahead and talk about some of the things first, Paul, that uh, you obviously have a lot of success with, what you find valuable to you as an instructor, and then what are some of the pitfalls uh, that we have to be careful of uh, when utilizing technology? Um, wow. So it's, uh, this is a great question. <laughs> it's a lot to unpack, I, mean, I, I know. Think, uh, what, what the heck? I say it's a lot to unpack, yeah. I know. No, I mean, I think um, I'll start with the technology I use and why, I guess. I, um, I, think, I think that we're going to see some much better golfers, uh, and I'm excited about that, you know, in the next 10 or 15 years, some very low scores, um, because I think uh, the things that seemed mysterious to me 20 years ago and uh, 25 years ago, when I when I was younger and trying to become really good are not so much a mystery anymore. Um, we can really figure things out, uh, and, and understand what's happening now because we have technology 
um, that allows us to see things that we couldn't see. You know, I had a pile of uh, golf balls and golf clubs and um, didn't have a laser range finder. I had to go to a uh, park and pace off my yardages to figure out how far I hit my clubs. Um, and to think about how things have changed now to, to really know, you know, so much, um, people who want to take advantage of this stuff, uh, it is, it's so much of it is there and it's getting more and more affordable by the day. Um, literally. So, uh, the things that I use now, boy, you know, uh, it's probably going to sound like a little bit too much. I use it selectively, um, but, you know, a launch monitor uh, I think is key um, these days for teaching somebody, uh, especially higher level players and helping them understand ball flight and why things happen uh, with the club and the ball. Um, so I use a Foresight GC quad I'm on the company's advisory board Um you know, the technology has kind of taken over the PGA Tour now. Um, and I think of that as basically an MRI for the golf club and the ball. Um, so we can figure out patterns. Uh, is the club traveling into out or out to in on a consistent basis? What is the club face doing? Where is the player hitting the ball in the face? Uh, which is super, super important. Um, how, <clears throat> you know, how is the club landing on the ground? Um, club head speed, angle of attack, all those things help us figure out um, patterns and, and what the player's, uh, player needs to, to change. Um, and then we have, I use swing catalysts, force plate to understand how they're putting force into the ground um, and their balance. And I use uh, 4D motion, um, makes a really great, uh, uh, sensor-based 3D system um, that provides a lot of really great detailed information uh, and uh, Sportsbox 3D also does, uh, you know, has a, a, an amazing optical 3D system that you can basically convert one slow motion video with into uh, some pretty amazing measurements and and that's what I use a lot with remote coaching. So, all of those things are there for me to use <clears throat> selectively to figure out, is this person making progress at the most important thing that I think that they need to work on right now to hit the golf ball better? So that may be, it might be sway and trying to not sway their pelvis, their hips as much in the backswing. Um, might be trying to rotate a little bit more because now they've done a little bit of exercising and they can um, uh, you know, whatever that key is to be able to measure it and demonstrate to the person that they're improving and this is why they're hitting the golf ball further um, or why the ball is doing something and being able to help them understand on the range or on the golf course, this is why the ball hooks and it relates back to what you're doing with your body. Those those are the kinds of connections that really help people practice productively and make progress because then they can, they can create uh, a connection for themselves um, and, and figure those things out. So um, 
I hope I answered all of your questions, Ted. Yep. No, you, you did. And I'm going to save the other okay. half for Jamie. Uh, for Jamie. Uh, I, I wanted to get just an overview, uh, if you will, because uh, I knew that you uh, use a lot of different te- technology. And uh, Jamie, I know you use some, but I'm going to play a little bit of a devil's advocate with you, Jamie, on this, because I want to approach it from a little different uh, standpoint. And my question for you is, and by all means, uh, feel free to uh, elaborate on any technology that you uh, choose to, to use. But what I want to ask you is this. Given what you've just heard, the various different types of technology and what it uh, can accomplish, do we as instructors run the risk at some time, maybe not in the immediate near future, but certainly within maybe the next five to ten years, do we run the risk now with things like mobile launch monitors and being able to get access at a very affordable price, uh, especially the younger generation coming up who are very tech-savvy, do we run the risk of making ourselves almost obsolete as golf coaches and instructors uh, and that we create a system where for, let's say, you know, a few hundred dollars, we now get all of the same data and information available to us, in other words, a coach in a box? Do we run the risk that that could be something, especially with AI technology coming out very rapidly? Is that a concern, do you think, um, that we may be providing so much information and data to students that the next generations coming up may not need to come see us at the lesson tee. <laughs> that is an interesting question. Um, you know, could you, I mean, take it to the extreme, could you have a robot golf coach, right? <laughs> um, there's so many so many things that are well. Could robots do this, right? Or can technology take the place of uh, the human mm-hmm. being? in a sense. And so, you know, I'm not sure. I think that there's definitely uh, a place for technology and that the younger generation is very tech savvy. They're very used to tech. And so they, mm-hmm. they, they turn to it, they use it, they can use it without us. Right. I mean, I've, I've had three or four mm-hmm. of those sit on my lap and I'm doing some, you know, art app and they don't even need me. You know, I show it to them twice and they don't need me. They're just, you know, resetting it themselves. I'm blown away, right? It's really right. Cool. Um, so <laughs> they've got a facility that we don't necessarily. However, that, all that being said, um, I'll be an advocate for the human element, shall we say. And um, mm-hmm. when you are out on the golf course, and whether it's for recreation, whether it's for a fun competition, whether it's a tournament, whether it's tour play and you've got a lot of money or whatever on the line, no matter what, all you really have on the golf course, if you think about it, is you, your body, your mind, and your golf club. You cannot use technology. It's not legal uh, on the golf course. And you need to, I mean, you are self-reliant, right? You are the one inside your head. You are the one having emotions and responses and reactions. You are the one who needs to um, take in all the assessment factors around this particular shot, the distance, the, um, the, you know, the, the side of the fairway, the side of the green, which way the wind's blowing, all those kinds of things, uphills, downhills, and, uh, and what kind of shot you're going to play. You are the one making decisions. You are the one who executes the swing, and the swing is something that's in the body. It's in your body. That there's no technology there. This is you and your your flesh and bones and muscles and mind and emotions. And so ultimately, 
we each need to become the one who's in charge of ourselves, right? We're in charge of our attention. We're in charge of our decisions. We're in charge of our emotions. We need to have awareness um, and be able to self-correct. Uh, it's great to have uh, all kinds of technology and, and readouts and video that we can look at that helps us see ourselves, that helps us to learn. But when we're actually out there playing the game on the golf course, we don't have access to that. We have to have been able to internalize that and to uh, be able to self-correct and to manage ourselves. So I don't think, uh, and the emotional part, you know, we talk about mental game, managing your mind, and the mental game is not separate from the emotional game, right? Um, So we have to uh, manage our emotional state while we're on the golf course. We have to manage our nervous system and find how do we be, how how can we center and ground and relax and focus and balance and, and all of that keep our timing and tempo keep our um keep on the positive side mentally and emotionally so these things i don't think you can um uh, you can't farm them out to another person and you can't hand them off to technology so uh and this is another function by the way of being a good golf coach is what Deepak Chopra, mm-hmm. well, I first heard it from him. I don't think he came up with the phrase, but it's about being an astronaut of inner space. We are so mm-hmm. conditioned uh, in this society, in this world, to look outwards, and technology is part of having us look outwards. And as I was just really going on about, it's about self-management, and you're the one playing the game, your human self. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, so we need to look inwards as much as outwards and have that what in martial arts term would be terms would be called that inner self mastery and this is where you know meditation and uh, uh, sports psychology and so uh, martial arts centering so many things come into play here in terms of being an astronaut of inner space so i think we need to look inwards as much as outwards and develop those capabilities uh, hand-in-hand with using the technology uh, on the outer level is that, you know, with its tremendous advantages that it offers us. But we can't have that lead us to ignore or neglect this self-development of self-mastery. And I don't think there's ever going to be a substitute uh, for that. I would hope not. Yeah, I would hope not as well. Yeah, go ahead, Paul. Sure. I'm going to chime in. I just spent the afternoon teaching people short game outdoors. Uh, and I have a, I have an outdoor facility where I coach too. And um, we talked a lot about assessing lies and club selection around the greens. Um, that's what I do on actually Thursdays and some, some other days uh, with my clients. So there's so many other skills involved in golf. And as far as uh, you know, the full swing goes, um, you know, I'm, I'm not, I, I just don't believe that we'll get to the point where, you know, perhaps there'll be an AI coach, at, but people need a human connection. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, I think there we'll probably get to a point where there are AI coaches available. Um, and it's just a matter of time. We've got AI and chips in our phones. But I think mm-hmm. people need a human connection. Uh, they understand that golf is a deep kind of multifaceted endeavor and that people like Jamie and myself, who somehow became pretty decent at it, have things to share that extend beyond just pulsing mechanics. So, 
Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And 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 I I hope you're you know we're we're right in that uh, analogy because I think uh, again I think and I've said this many many times on the show I think there is certainly a place for technology, but it's like any other tool, uh, whether it be a tool in the garden or uh, you know a tool to to uh, like a hammer or what have you. Uh, it has its place and it has its purpose, but it should never overtake the process. So I hope that that doesn't become – obviously, I know technology is going to keep developing and it is going to get more advanced, and there are going to be ways of, of communicating through apps and so forth uh, without necessarily uh, actually having to uh, ring the extension of your coat. That is inevitable. I think it's happening, and it's already uh, somewhat out there now. Uh, but I hope it never gets to a point where we do lose that human connection because uh, that's one of the things, even though you know they always talk about golf being an individual sport, uh, and that is true to an extent – uh, but, you know, I always had a better time when I played with the, my foursome of friends than I did when I went out by myself. Uh, uh, it's nice to have the solitude, but it's also nice to have some friends around there as well. But um, great discussion tonight, guys. You guys really uh, came out with some, some super answers. Uh, I think we, we touched on a lot of things. There was a lot of different answers than I had with the group uh, uh, previously that uh, had this discussion. Um, but as always, uh, thank you very much for, uh, for having an interesting and a robust uh, discussion here on Coach's Corner. And as always, uh, I'm going to give you guys, as we close out this segment, uh, an opportunity to let the folks know if they want to reach out. So, uh, ladies first, uh, Jamie, you go ahead, and then Paul. Thank you. I, you know, Ted, I always say men first when we're on the tee, especially at the men's tees. It's <laughs> fun. <laughs> um, so people uh, can find me at on my website. is a great way, which is uh, KIAIGOLF, K-I-A-I. AIAIGolf.com, the uh, same place, the uh, same website uh, comes up if you go to thecenteredway.com, center, E-D, thecenteredway.com, um, at jamie at kiigolf.com, jamie at thecenteredway.com. So email's great, social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, Jamie Leno Zimron. Uh, I always like to say I am, I, I'm of auditory type, <laughs> very uh, <laughs> sort of um, – I'm the extroverted social type, so I love to talk, love to connect. Feel free to give me a call, 760-492-GOLF, 4653, 760-492-4653. And I do a lot of virtual, um, I do uh, golf mastery schools, lessons virtually, as well as I'm based in Northern California. Uh, I Before the pandemic, I traveled a lot, doing that less, but I will be in Southern California in November and in Phoenix in uh, December. Um, and I'm also based in Israel quite a bit, so uh, doing some different things, um, you know, uh, obviously a lot virtually. And we have one golf course in Israel. It's a pretty cool place, uh, and i uh, love to share that with folks, too. Very good. And Paul, yourself? Uh, my website is paulcastergolf.com. It's uh, K-A-S-T-E-R. My Instagram handle is Paul Caster Golf. Um, I'm on Twitter at Paul Caster Golf. Also, um, I have an indoor studio here in Little Silver, New Jersey, and uh, do some outdoor coaching and um, putting instruction and playing lessons nearby at Jumping Brook Country Club, which is uh, an original AW Tillinghouse design. Um, offer lots of remote coaching. Uh, options and possibilities and and um, going to be doing a little bit of travel uh, this winter as well um, planning a trip to Belgium uh, which should be pretty fun um, and uh, I think 
I think that's about it, Ted. I appreciate you having us and, and having me. Not a problem. As always, thank you guys for always bringing your best to the Coach's Corner panel. And until next time, have a great uh, rest of your week and weekend. And I'll see you guys both back here again uh, on another Coach's Corner panel. Have a great one, guys. Thank you. Thanks to you both. You thank too. You. Thanks, Ted. And say hi to Avis. <laughs> all right. I certainly will do that. Um, all right. Uh, special thanks again to Jamie Leno-Zimron and Paul Castor for joining me on Coach's Corner. We're going to take a quick uh, break for a couple of messages from sponsors, and then I will be back and introduce tonight's very special guest. This edition of Golf Talk Live is brought to you by Golf Pal, the best place to find only the finest in golf training aids and accessories. Get in on some great deals on leading products such as Down Underboard, Rough Soto, Golf Slingshot, and more. Visit GolfPal.golf today. And don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter. Golf Pal. We're serious about your game. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple to follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to golftipsmag.com and subscribe today. All right, welcome back. I'm going to introduce my very special guest this evening. Eleven years ago, uh, my guest Avis began her battle with breast cancer. And uh, literally by the grace of God, she has been cancer-free for now for 11 years. Uh, The Lord spared her so she can share her walk of life and help inspire others by empowering them with health awareness, healthy lifestyles, life skills, citizenship, and golf. Uh, It is her belief that God spared her for a reason. Uh, As she puts it, golf has always been my passion. It has provided me and my family with wonderful memories. Uh, Being blessed with a special talent, my dream for the world is that every woman and child has the opportunity to experience uh, the game of golf. Uh, She's a Christian woman, wife, working mother, and author. Uh, Avis's family and friends define her as a person who is dependable, trustworthy, strong moral character, and a great team player. Her message to the world, don't give up, never give up. We are all champions in life. I am a champion in life. Please welcome my very special guest author of Building of a Champion, and a member of the LPGA's Teaching and Club Professional Division, Mrs. Avis Brown-Riley. Good evening, Avis. Welcome to the show. Good evening, Ted. Thank you so much for inviting me on your show. I'm super excited. Well, thank you for, for joining me, and it's, uh, it's my honor to have you here on the show. I know we've got a lot of things to talk about, and I appreciate you taking time out of your evening. Uh, in your case, it actually might be late afternoon because we're, I think, a couple hours different. Uh, you're out on the uh, Pacific uh, Coast, so uh, we're uh, a couple of hours different. But I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule uh, to join me uh, here on Golf Talk Live. So I, I gave a, 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 a general inter- introduction, and I know there's a lot of things. Uh, you have quite the repertoire of, of accomplishments, and obviously I can't read them all out, uh, or we wouldn't be able to have time to actually have a conversation. But we'll, we'll touch on some as we go along. But Give us a general overview about yourself, and then I want to talk about what you went through these last uh, uh, several years. 
Yes, absolutely. Just a little bit about myself. I've been married to my husband, James Riley, for 25 years. We just celebrated our 25th anniversary. It's been a wonderful experience uh, raising our two kids, Ayana and Amari Riley. I recently retired from a Fortune 500 company, FedEx Express, of 25 years. That was quite remarkable, amazing journey to be able to work for a Fortune 500 company and be able to groom the young generations that were coming on board as the hiring manager. And it, I am speechless when I talk about what it was like for me to be an operations manager here in FedEx. But it definitely gave mm -hmm. me and my family a wonderful life that I will always be extremely grateful for. And I'm currently employed at Torrey Pines Golf Course as a pro shop staff member. I'm really excited about working at Torrey Pines. And, uh, well, I never thought in a million years that I'd be working at Torrey Pines. <laughs> and I say that because I won the San Diego Women's City Amateur there in 1982. But not only that, uh, that's where I learned to become a champion in life, playing Torrey Pines and Balboa Golf Course here in San Diego. So uh, on weekends, I enjoy playing golf with my husband and my two kids. They're really great golfers. And I also volunteer for the San Diego Inner City Junior Golf Foundation, which, which is founded mm -hmm. by my brother, Horace Brown, and my dad, Gordon Brown Sr., and as you mentioned before, I am an LPGA certified Class A teaching golf professional. Uh, that mm -hmm. just touches me like you can't believe because I was chasing <laughs> that dream for 30 years, Ted, and I finally accomplished it. So it's, it's truly a, an honor to be an LPGA member today. Uh, I enjoy being a mentor to young female golfers around the United States, just having conversations with them on and off the golf course, you know, what are their challenges, what's not allowing them to perform. Uh, we talk about the mental toughness and becoming a champion in life. So I really love having that opportunity to speak to a lot of female golfers. And I have a degree in communications where I attended the United States International University on a full golf scholarship. And I enjoy supporting the LPGA initiative for getting young girls and women involved in the game of golf. A few weeks ago, we had the USGA uh, girls golf at the first tee here in San Diego at Kalina Golf Course. And that's where I won my first golf tournament when I was eight years old. So you can imagine what it was like for me to be there and be surrounded by so many wonderful little girls and sharing my amazing story and, and actually making sure that I find an autographed book and we placed it in all their gift bags. So that was like a precious moment for me. Uh, I'm also president of the Avis Brown Riley Golf Extravaganza. And I am the proud author of Building of a Champion, How I Became a Champion in Life, the Avis Brown Riley Story. You know, you have um, so many, as I said, so many great accolades um, that you have really built um, over your, your time thus far. And, you know, one of, obviously, I, I'm sure you would probably agree, was the most difficult time thus far in your life, and that was obviously becoming a breast cancer survivor. 
Um, tell us a little bit about that. Obviously, at some point, you were made aware uh, of what uh, what had happened and what was going on with your body, and that had to be very, I'm sure, very devastating news for you to receive. But you approached it much differently than most people would. You actually, I guess for lack of better words, words rose to the challenge and said, you know what, I am a survivor, I am a champion, and you used the skills that you've learned throughout thus far in your life to really tackle that. Tell us a little bit about that experience. Yes, absolutely. So in 2010, I was diagnosed with breast cancer, stage 4, invasive ductal carcinoma. As many of you know, that is the worst type Mm -hmm. of cancer known to the human body. And I went in for Mm -hmm. my yearly mammogram, Ted, and I received a notice that two days later indicating that something was wrong, something appears to be abnormal, can you please return back to the office? So I did that, and then two days later, I, also, I then received another notice stating that everything was fine. Uh, but in actuality, in January 2010 is when they should have diagnosed me, me with stage one cancer. Well, from January 2010, to March is when my body started changing. I started feeling very fatigued. I knew that I was doing a lot. At that time, I was the operations manager for FedEx Express. I was a golf coach at the Lincoln High School here in San Diego, where Terrell Davis and Marcus Allen graduated from. Those are uh, NFL players. And so, and then not only that, but just being a mother, a wife, and making sure that I did life balance. And I knew that I was juggling a lot of hats and wearing a lot of hats and juggling a lot of balls, but I felt pretty good about mm-hmm. juggling the balls because I've always been one for multitasking. But um, right. during March, I noticed that my body started feeling very, very fatigued. So I said, you know, there's got to be something wrong. Well, I, I, I ignored it. I ignored it, and I just kept pushing myself, taking my vitamins, you know, continue to work out. And I've always been a healthy eater, very nutritional diet, and uh, love to exercise, including playing golf. Well, let's speed it up just a tad. So from March to May, uh, it took another toll on my body where I really started feeling extremely tired, more so than ever before. Well, then in May, uh, I noticed that I had two lumps in my right breast located under Mm -hmm. the muscle. So not only did I have one, but I had two. So I Mm. immediately called my doctor, and I said, Dr. Patricia, I have two lumps in my right breast. She said, Davis, we need for you to come in immediately. So I went in, and... They tested me, and they drew blood, and within three days, Ted, I received notice that I was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer, invasive ductal Mm. carcinoma, and that means that the cancer was in the ducts in the breast. Right. So we had to move quickly. Uh, my life was on the line, stage four. Uh, I had the best doctor in La Jolla, my oncologist, Jennifer, who also was diagnosed with breast cancer, treated me as if she treated herself. So I knew I was in good hands. But 
I never thought that I would have been diagnosed with breast cancer because I ate well, I exercised, I've always been extremely healthy my entire life, so I was like, oh my goodness, where did this come mm-hmm. from? But I, I learned, to, I had learned to accept it, and I knew that I had to move forward with it, and I knew that I had to get the best team in San Diego to be able to save my life, and that's what we did. So in order to save my life, I was treated with aggressive chemo and aggressive radiation, and both of those uh, items were extremely expensive. So mm-hmm. I think about those that have not had the opportunity to have the best insurance. What does that mean? Does that mean that their their life could be shortened because they don't have the proper medical insurance to cover and provide them with the best of the medication? Well, in my case, I was right. very fortunate to have that. So I went through that process, and it was very devastating in the sense that I had chemo, aggressive chemo, floating through my body. And there were so many, after my first and second injections, I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm not going to be able to go through this. This is devastating to my body. And mm-hmm. by the grace of God, uh, I said a lot of prayers, and I said, Lord Jesus, I will never ask why, but I know that you're going to get me through this. And keep in mind, I'm very... Uh, spiritual, and right. I said that, Avis, you have the mental toughness. You're a champion. You're going to get through this. Mm-hmm. You just got to stay the course, stay focused, and stay prayed up. You have the best doctors, and you're going to get through this. So I had uh, family support, and I had the best doctors, so I knew that I was in good care. I just had to go through the process. But I can share with the listeners that that was the worst round of golf that I've ever played in my entire life, having to fight for my life. But at the right. end, I knew that I was going to be successful with becoming a breast cancer survivor. And thank God that I had the mental toughness that I had obtained through playing golf for many, many years that allowed my mindset to say, hey, Avis, you're a champion. You're going to get through this. It's like it's a fight for your life. And it's like you start and you got to finish it. So you're going to get through this, and that's what I did. I was able to get through it successfully. And here I am 11 years later. And we are uh, grateful to uh, the fact that you are here and obviously grateful to God for uh, working his miracle through your body. Um, and, you know, you now, uh, you know, I always am a firm believer that sometimes things happen to us and obviously through our life's journey. And we're able to then use those experiences to help us grow and develop and obviously share those experiences with others. Um, and I want to talk about your book here for a second, but before we do, maybe you can just very quickly let the folks know how you actually got started playing golf, because you obviously started very, very young. You've had a long uh, career in and around golf. Um, how did you uh, start playing golf? And then I want you to tell us a little bit about your book, uh, Building of a Champion, how you came up with the idea or concept of the book. Yes, absolutely. Well, my father 
is Gordon Brown Sr. He was one of the best amateurs in the history of Charleston, South Carolina, where he was born and raised. He introduced the game to my brothers. I have three brothers, Horace, Orn, and Gordon Jr. And my sister, Rosetta, was also uh, a golfer as well. But a lot of people don't know that I have a sister because all they know that it was Avis and three brothers. But I was introduced to this wonderful game by my father at, in 1971 at the age of seven. And I have had an amazing journey, you know, winning this, winning the junior world, uh, being the only African-American in the world to hold four junior world trophies. And, and what an honor to have my picture in the Torrey Pines Wall of Champions next to Tiger. You know, I won my mm -hmm. first golf tournament when I was eight years old. I won the San Diego Women's City Amateur Championship at Torrey Pines when I was 17 years old. Uh, I won the first National Minority Collegiate Golf Tournament, and I played collegiate golf for four years, and my best finish under the NCAA's Women's Championship, I was ranked 25th in the nation, and that was quite impressive. Uh, back then and still is quite impressive for anyone that's ranked 25th in, in today's world. Uh, and, and when I was traveling, I traveled most of the time alone, playing in many tour golf events, which was quite remarkable, quite amazing just to travel around the country. And my highlight of for my professional golf career was in 1988 when I shot a seven under par 65, which still holds a women's course record at the Canyon Crest Country Club, and the event was the Michelob Classic. So I have great memories of that. And then I also played in the 1988 women's, excuse me, the United States Women's Open at Sunny Farms Country Club in Baltimore. That was also a great experience. And so my history is so amazing, and you can read about it in my book. I've shared a lot of wonderful stories of how I was able to achieve and become a champion. And But more so than anything, I'm so proud to become an LPGA certified Class A teaching pro today. And recently, Ted, I played in the 2021 LPGA National Championship. It was my first time competing in it was my first time competing in over 25 years, and it was so amazing just to be out there competing again. And I had my daughter Ayana carrying for me, and I and it was a great feeling because she's never ever watched me compete as a little girl. So for her to see her mother out there competing after 25 years, that was quite uh, remarkable, and it was a great feeling. And I finished in 15th place. So I'm thinking, wow, Avis, you're, you are truly a champion. There's no doubt about that. And so just want to share I, I, with the listeners my, about my amazing journey and, and parts of my accomplishments. And, and it's quite uh, remarkable to, to share it with the world, to let everyone know that, you know, it, it's a great feeling to be a champion in life. You know, and, and what, what's interesting is I just want to add to, to that, you know, for people to really appreciate that for not playing officially in an event for a quarter of a century and then to come out in 15th place uh, is, is an incredible accomplishment. Um, I mean, I know people that have played 
uh, on regular events for the last several years that are not finishing that high. So that is definitely an accomplishment uh, in itself. So again, kudos to you for all of the many uh, accomplishments. So at some point you you developed the concept and idea of of putting it down on, on paper, if you will, in your book, Building of a Champion. Um, when did that come about? When did you decide, I want to put all of my experiences, all of my knowledge thus far in how I became a champion? When did you decide to put that down in paper and make it available in a book? Well, back in 2009, I wanted to return to my passion after retiring from FedEx. So I knew that I wanted to compile all my accolades and write a book. So one day I was actually sitting at my parents' house and my brother Horace and I were having lunch and he turned around and he looked at me and he said, Avis, he said, I don't think you really realize who you are. And I said, well, what do you mean, Horace? He goes, you're like a junior world champion. Nope. Uh, how many people you know that can walk around and say, hey, I'm a junior world champion? He goes, you need to share it, share it with the world. I said, you're right. So what I did was I contacted my older brother, Gordon Brown Jr., who lives in Tallahassee, Florida, and I said, Gordon, uh, it's time for us to write the story. He said, Avis, let's do it. So Gordon and I were able to compile all our information and gather all my pictures, and I have to give kudos to my brother Gordon because he he's actually my ghostwriter for one out of our five books that we will be writing. So in the book, we talk about the chronicles of how I became a champion in life and my fascinating journey. And I share my trademarks, which are the three Ds. And for those who are close to me, you always hear me talk about the three Ds. And those three Ds are you must have the dedication, you must have the, the desire and determination. Uh, to become a champion in life. And so you got to be able to feel as if you have that burning desire to get up, go to the golf course, practice for X amount of hours after school, on the weekends, and you've got to be determined. You're determined to reach a goal. You know, when you start off shooting a 90, hey, let me work a little harder, reduce my score mm -hmm. down to an 80, and you're determined to reach that goal. And then when you're dedicated, you have that passion. It's that fire that you have in you that allows you to feel as if you want to dedicate your life to playing this wonderful game of golf. You know, it's, it's interesting because you mentioned earlier, too, that, you know, you enjoy and you're excited and passionate about you know, all of the young golfers that are coming in and particularly young girls. Um, and I know that you have some encouraging words that you would like to share with especially some of these young golfers. But what I would also like for you to do, if you wouldn't mind, is uh, I would also like you to talk about what you would say to yourself. If you could travel back uh, in time to a younger uh, Avis, uh, what would you say to her um, that maybe would, would offer even more encouragement to yourself, but particularly what encouragement would you give young golfers that are maybe new to the game or maybe playing for a little while? What would you say to them? And what, more importantly, what would you say to yourself if you had that opportunity to go back in time? 
Yes, if I had that opportunity to go back in time, and Ted, you're talking to a, a, a junior champion that was extremely successful, so how much room of failure or error did I have? And the answer to that is that I had quite a bit, but I was able to mm -hmm. overcome it. And how did I overcome that? Well, you're going to face a lot of adversity. And with golf, especially being a little black girl of color traveling around mm -hmm. the country, not understanding racism or discrimination, how was I able to face adversity for face value? And if right. I had to turn back the time and the clock, I would have I would have wished that my parents would have educated me more on how mm -hmm. to handle adversity, how to handle situations as I was traveling around the country. You know, I wasn't quite ready for that. And so I knew that God had a plan for me. And, of course, uh, God will never steer you wrong, but I had to stay focused. I had to stay focused, and I had to tune in, and I had to make sure that I was comfortable in my skin. And I want the readers, excuse me, I want the audience to know uh, in order to achieve that, you've got to know who you are. Mm -hmm. You've got to know who you are, and you've got to love yourself. Well, well, how do you learn that at, er, at an early age? You know, you right, can just right. barely say your name, let alone how do you <laughs> learn who you are. <laughs> right. That's one thing that God teaches you, Ted. It teaches you the values. It teaches you the etiquette. It teaches you that self-esteem. It teaches you self-confidence. It teaches you uh, who you are. You're able to build the, the character. You're able to build your personality. And then once you reach that certain age, I would say anywhere between, you know, 15 to 17, you're able to put it all together because now you have a general idea of, you know, who you are in order, in order mm -hmm. to be a successful champion in not only in golf but in school, you know, through your education, you know, finding your way through life. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. And, and you know, Avis, the other thing, too, is, you know, as you develop as a youngster, um, obviously you had a lot of uh, challenges that many didn't have, uh, again, because of your ethnicity. But you also um, were, were young when you, first, you, know, were, you were starting out and you were introduced to golf. And so it's a learning curve and you, you develop um, different skill levels throughout your journey. And then at some point, as you start to, um, of course, you have failures, as you mentioned, along the way but you also have some successes and those successes and failures more importantly help build confidence in who you are as a person and then as time goes on the more confidence that you build and develop and successes uh, come a little bit easier as that journey continues because you know how to handle failures in a better way and you know how to overcome those adversities much easier as time goes on I've always said uh, Avis and I think you would probably agree that golf in many ways, unlike so many other sports, mimics life. 
Um, you look at some of the, the journeys that you take on every hole, some of the challenges that you're faced with and how you overcome those challenges, and then you equate them in everyday life. Um, there's a lot of very similars and a lot of parallels. So what would you say to a young um, youngster out there that's maybe coming into the game or maybe even playing as a junior from what you've learned along the way? What would you say, what encouragement would you give them uh, and how would you help those that maybe are seeking to become a champion like you did? Absolutely. I would have to start out by saying to the younger junior golfers that are listening on the call today that they need to keep in mind that golf is just a game. Uh, to be mm-hmm. successful, you must learn how to become a champion in life, and how do you do that? Well, I've always thought of golf to be a metaphor for life, and that's what you talked about earlier, yes. Ted. You know, right. you're using golf as a metaphor for life. So what does that mean? That means that the values that you obtain out there on the golf course, the respect, the integrity, mm-hmm. uh, the moral of respecting your competitor, and and, yep. and with that being said, you must understand the game, you know, because as I stated earlier, golf is nothing but a game. Well, do you understand the game? Are you getting the proper lessons, the proper coaching? Uh, are your parents seeking a sports psychologist for you? Do you have the mentors that are uh, helping you to achieve the understanding of the game? And then not only that, uh, having a goal-oriented approach. Are you setting goals for yourself, right? You start mm-hmm. off shooting yep. a certain score, may it be at 85, and your goal is to, to break 80, and, you know, you give yourself a window. Hey, I'm going to give myself six months to, to reduce my score. And, and know and apply the rules. As you well know, Ted, in life, mm-hmm. you have to apply rules. Well, right. God, you also have to apply the rules, right? So, mm-hmm, exactly. so you always have to keep that in mind. You've got to apply the rules. You've got to apply the rules at your job. There's procedures that you have to follow. Same concept applies to uh, you being a player on the golf course. So I always sit, share with uh, the younger generation, and I love this and it's in my book, uh, I make the statement that it's not the adversity that you face but how you face the adversity that defines you as a person and builds character. That statement is very, very powerful. And again, I have to go back stating you must understand the game. Use the right approach and, and apply the rules. And now that compiles together. And then once you've learned that, now you're learning how to harness. And now you're allowing yourself to apply the principles of the dedication, the desire, and the determination. And once you're able to gather all that, now you're able to get out there, compete, stay within your, stay in your lane, stay in your lane. I hear a lot of junior golfers uh, wanting to uh, compete on a higher level but aren't quite there. Well, how do you get there? Hard work, Mm -hmm. which is that dedication that we talked about, Practice a little harder. If you don't understand the fundamentals of the golf swing, don't be afraid to speak up. 
ask your teacher, right. your, your teaching pro, ask, ask your coach, well, what do you mean by that? And I, and, I, and I love the fact that parents are now getting more involved with their kids from a understanding of how this game works because they're the ones that can be able to support the kids when they're at home. Well, no, Coach Avis didn't say that. She said this. This is what she mm-hmm. wanted you to do. You know, may it be the right. grit, may it be your address, maybe it be your body posture, what have you. So those are the those are the those are the advices that I would like to leave with the young golfers that are on the call today. Yeah, and some great advice it is too, because you know the other thing, Avis, I find especially you know, and obviously every generation is different, but as we get into uh, the younger generations now. Everything is sort of about instant gratification where you understand, you know, to become a champion, to become a better player and a better person, it takes time. It takes uh, development and it takes um, obviously skill, but it takes uh, a lot of effort on your part to get to where you, you got. And unfortunately, in today's society, everybody wants that instant gratification. They don't want to put the time in. They, they want to get to the top, but they don't want to do the different steps. They're looking for a fast way to navigate the course, if you will, and it just does not exist. There are certainly some people that have a God-given talent and can get out there and, you know, hit it, uh, you know, 250-plus yards down the middle of the fairway without even taking a golf lesson. Um, But can they actually play on the golf course? Well, that, you know, uh, remains to be seen. So, you know, I I think that's great advice that you've given. Um, Something else I want to touch on uh, very briefly, because you, you mentioned this a little earlier on, and you said you had some failures of your own along the way. Um, what did you learn from them? What were, maybe give us an example or two of some of the failures that you experienced earlier on but were able to, I guess, capitalize on them, and they helped you during that learning pers- uh, uh, point, uh, learning, uh, if you will, along the way. Absolutely. So I will share with you one great example of failure uh, for myself, and that was not understanding the golf swing, Ted. Uh, my brothers mm-hmm. seemed to have grasped it very well when Dad was teaching us, but I was a little slow. You know, I couldn't understand mm-hmm. it. And so my brothers, I have to thank them, by the way, because I don't think they really realized that they helped build a champion. And uh, mm-hmm. what I mean by that is that they took a lot of time with me on the golf course. Gordon made sure that I had my clubs. You know, he made sure I had my lunch. He's the older brother, six years older than I. Right. And they were my protectors. Horace was extremely instrumental. He was very brilliant. He understood the golf swing very, very, very well. And he, too, would take the time to help me with my grip and the fundamentals. Orrin was two years younger than I, but yet Orrin still understood the fundamentals as well. So when you have three brothers that are teaching mm-hmm. you and coaching you and helping you along the way, and keep in mind, listeners, we were playing golf every day after school. Right. Every day after school. So when you're out there playing golf every day, including Saturday and Sunday, and you have uh, family members around you that are helping you to excel, uh, that was the icing on the cake. And now that I look back on that, uh, 
I always felt that I was a failure per se because I didn't understand the golf swing. But now, looking looking back, I I did understand it, but it became more muscle memory for me. But did I right. truly understand it? So that was the part of my failure that I wish I would have uh, grasped it much earlier like my brothers did. But as time continued on, I was able to understand the golf swing and become just as good or even better than, than my brothers. Yeah, and, and it, as I said earlier, it's a process. You know, everybody learns at a different pace, um, but ultimately if you get to the same place at some point, whether you, uh, you know, it takes you a couple of months, whether it takes you a couple of years or several years, you know, we all journey through life at a different pace. And I think that the fact that somehow bred in you was the uh, wherewithal to stick with it and to continue uh, to push yourself to become better at whatever it was that you did. Golf obviously was, was a big part of that. And that is a testament to, as you said, not only your, your father, uh, Gordon Sr., but your, your three brothers as well in, in you know, pushing and prodding and helping you along the way. Um, and obviously, you know, here you are today, um, you know, several years later, and, you know, really reaping the rewards uh, of that success. I, I want you to define, if you wouldn't mind, um, the key elements in your mind of becoming a champion, of being a champion. What are some of the key elements? Yes, I would have to say some of the key elements is knowing who you are, knowing who you are, and set, set a stage for yourself. And, we, and you mentioned it earlier where you mentioned that uh, people like, in, and especially the younger generation, like instant gratification. So right. when we talk about the key elements for being a champion, uh, number one, you must understand the game of life. Have a goal-oriented approach and know and apply the rules. That is so important. It is so important because it's nothing like playing a sport and you don't know or understand what needs to take place. And not only that, but you're out there and you're trying to figure it out. And that's the toughest part about this wonderful game of golf, trying to figure mm-hmm. out the fundamentals. And, and you can save your time, yourself a lot of time <clears throat> by getting the proper coaching. Number two, I would say learn how to harness and apply the principles of dedication, the desire, and the determination. I, and, and I'm going to harp on that because those three Bs are self-driven. But you have to want it. But in order to mm-hmm. want it, you've got to work extra hard. And with the instant gratification of a lot of young students today, they need to really understand that they really need to take the time and put that extra time into becoming a champion. And number three, I would have to say, be willing to give back to your community. And not mm-hmm. only from an adult standpoint, but from a, a, a youth standpoint. You know, get out there, get involved in your community. And when you do that, make sure that you do that with open hands and a warm smile and a generous heart. You know, it's a mm-hmm. great feeling. I'm so happy that I'm able to give back to the community. I'm on different boards here in San Diego. I'm affiliated with uh, Southwestern Community College on their board. 
and I'm also an ambassador uh, for the American Cancer Society, and then I'm also on the LPGA media and marketing team. And I just received an invite to be an ambassador for the 2023 Solheim Cup in Spain. So talk wow. about just giving back, yeah, giving back and help <laughs> making a difference. You know, it, it's a great feeling, and but you've got to do it from the heart. And then number four, I would have to say, uh, life is not about winning and losing. And I, what I mean by that is that I think society uh, puts a lot of emphasis on winning. And mm-hmm. if you're not in the top five, does that make you a failure? Well, no, because I believe that if you compete and you're out there, you too are a winner. It just so happened the person that finished in first and second might have worked a little harder than you, right? Mm -hmm. And the results paid off. Yeah. Or they might have actually, maybe a a putt or two might have dropped in for them that didn't for you. So, yeah, there's a lot of factors. I I think that's uh, some very, very uh, a great point because – you know, again, so many people go out there. I mean, we, you know, I interview every week uh, many of the winners from the Symmetra Tour, which, of course, leads up to the to the regular LPGA Tour. And a lot of times, you know, some of those young girls feel that way. They get out there and they're grinding it out for a couple of years and they haven't had their first win yet. And they're sitting there thinking, well, I know I've got a good game because I'm out here, but I'm not winning yet. And you know what? Sometimes there's you can work as hard as you want. It's the luck of the draw, too. Sometimes a lucky bounce or a lucky roll of the putt uh, falls in for you this time, and, and that could be the difference of you winning or losing that uh, event. But that doesn't mean you, that you're a loser because you didn't win the event because you're out there competing with some of the best in the world. So um, that, that, I think, just sort of solidifies that point. Um, what, was there another oh, uh, element that you – yeah, go ahead. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, my theory is as long as you have reached your potential for the day, because everybody's mm-hmm. potential is different. No, yep. no same potential is the same for each individual. So as long as you reach your potential for today, you set a goal, you set a plan, you went out there, you tried to execute it, you know, but I just want everyone to know and remember that there's always tomorrow. Whenever you're out there competing, usually it's a golf tournament, which usually consists of two or three days. If you didn't play well the first day, let it go. Start over the next day, fresh. And then the third day, there's always tomorrow. And that's one thing that I love about competing. And I, use, and I say that gracefully because uh, when I had competed this year in the 2021 LPGA National Championship, my first day I shot a 75. And I'm thinking, wow, Ava, that's great. You did extremely well. But I, I averaged 75. So I reached my goal. That's my, that was my goal that I set for myself, 75. I haven't competed in 25 years. Well, the next day yep. I went out and I shot a 79. And I had five three-putts on the first nine. And uh, the weather was, the climate was a little different for me coming from the West Coast and going into to Virginia. It was 95 degrees with humidity. And mm. I, I failed to share with you that, uh, because I was treated with the aggressive radiation, I live with mm-hmm. peripheral neuropathy. And peripheral mm-hmm. neuropathy is nerve damage. So you right. can only imagine 
what my hands and my feet looked like in 95-degree weather with humidity. Right. Well, they swell. Right. The cells <laughs> swell. My hands looked like <laughs> little baby paws. They, they were like, oh, my goodness. And they were extremely painful, Ted. <laughs> right. I, yeah, I can imagine. So, I can imagine. So, but what happened was I was able to turn it around on the back line. I said, okay, Avis, you, you, you have five three-putts. Let's turn it around. Uh, let, and so I, I have to share this with you because my daughter, she says, Mommy, she says, uh, put your hands in the ice chest bucket. And I'm in the, the middle of competition, and I'm not thinking that, wow, my hands are swollen. I can't feel my putts. I'm leaving them, you know, seven, eight feet short. And so after dipping my hands in the cold bucket of ice, my hands were able to uh, shrink back to normal. And that's how I was able to go finish the last nine holes, which was awesome. And then the next day I came back and I shot a 73. So I say that to say this, there's always tomorrow. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. And what's the (laughs) – Go ahead, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say what some, some great what I was going to say very quickly was some great advice from your daughter uh, to do that. So um, very uh, very uh, smart young lady to be able to give her mother advice like that. Um, please go ahead and finish your last thought. Yes, absolutely. Because she knows my condition, and I'm in the, the middle of competition. I'm not even thinking that. I'm excited. I'm having fun. I'm not thinking about my hands. I'm thinking, why am I missing these putts, and why am I leaving them so short? And so when I showed her my hands, she goes, Mommy, your hands are swollen. Let's dip them in the bucket of ice. And that that got me through my round. But then I came back, you know, because, again, in my mind, I'm thinking, hey, you always have tomorrow. And I finished strong once again. But that was the mental toughness that I had Mm -hmm. obtained over the many years of playing competitive golf for 25 years. Okay, so I knew in my mindset that I was able to get back out there and finish strong. And I'll tell you, Ted, what a great feeling. What a great feeling to come back and just shoot one over your last day. And and last but not least, uh, I talk about dreams. Dreams can Mm -hmm. come true. You know, don't ever give up. Never give up. Uh, I wish that I wish that I would have never gave up uh, with my golf career 25 years ago. But after finding out that society wasn't quite ready for an African American female, and there were so many roadblocks in my way, I said, you know, right. I just can't keep fighting this. So I that's when I rerouted myself. And so you always hear me say, don't give up. Never give up, and that's where I'm coming from. And 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 believe that you too can become a champion in life. Yeah, I, I think that's very well said, Avis. And you know, because I, I remember when when Tiger Woods first came out on tour uh, in the late '90s, and you know, his his opening line was "Hello World." And you know, here was this Ooh. skinny young you know skinny young lad that was coming out there. And most of the, you know, the, the fellow competitors were kind of looking at, okay, well, hey, how are you doing? And let's see what you got. And, boy, did he show us what he, what he got. Let me, let me put it to you that way. Um, yes, he came he out there and just, I mean, he, he dominated for, for many, many years. And, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, he's, he's had some injuries and, and issues uh, here lately. 
uh, that you know he, he's uh, you know not uh, quite as fit as he once was, but boy did he blossom into uh, an incredible champion. Uh, certainly, you know the the best in the world. And you know it just go. I mean, I remember seeing images of him, you know, when he was three years old, uh, you know, uh, going on the Tonight Show with you know with his little putter and and uh, you know it was very cute and adorable at the time. But who would have thought? Fast forward, you know, uh, after you know graduating from Stanford and all these other things that you would see him out uh, competitive uh, in in junior golf and and again dominating in many cases there, and then ultimately making it out to the PGA Tour. Uh, again, you know, at first sight you wouldn't think, okay, you know, he's going to go out there and play some some great golf. Uh, he had a good junior career, uh, but who would have ever thought in a million years that he would get? So uh, again, it goes to your point that you know, even though he shared some adversities along the way, as did you. Uh, he was able to say, you know what, I'm here, I can play too, I'm going to do this, and he did it in such a way that um, I think golf will forever uh, be changed. Um, and I want to ask you one final thing in, in lieu of that. Um, one of the things that we did see, obviously, a much bigger diversity come out after he came on the scene, um, but we're still not seeing as strong... Uh, from the African-American community. What do you think is it, is it going to take or what is needed? We're seeing, you know, from uh, Asia and all countries around the world, we're seeing an uptick in a lot of international players, but there's still not as many in the African-American community. What is it going to take, do you think, on our part as industry leaders to be able to make the changes to get more African-American young men and young women into this game? Ted, I believe that in order for young African-American boys and girls to be introduced to this wonderful game, uh, don't get me wrong, First Tee is great. A lot of other junior golf programs throughout the country are just as great. But as I sit here and I think about it, I would like to see – golf being introduced elementary level in the inner city. Mm-hmm. And the reason yep. why I say that, Ted, is because there are so many young black kids that grow up in the inner city that have never been exposed to mm-hmm. a country club lifestyle, never been on a golf course. Parents mm-hmm. don't play golf. Grandparents don't play golf. Well, how are we to how are we supposed to introduce introduce them to this wonderful game? And I believe right. we can do that by introducing the game of golf after school programs to elementary schools around the country. This will allow and enable the young kids in the inner city to at least be introduced to the game. Give them a chance, an opportunity. Again, their parents aren't country club members. You know, right. They're not affiliated in the golf arena. They're more tapped in with football, baseball, track and mm-hmm. field, more sports-oriented games, more so than golf, as you and I know, being an individual sport. Uh, but then also right. being team-oriented later on in life, being affiliated with a college team what have you, or amateur events. 
But that's what I like to see. Let's see if we can have a grassroots program. Uh, and we did this, the San Diego Inner City Junior Golf Foundation here in San Diego. Uh, we had, Horace did a wonderful job, and my dad and my sister, Rosetta, and I would join them periodically because I was working at the time as an operations manager, but they ran a beautiful program for 10 years at numerous schools in the inner city. And then mm -hmm. they uh, no longer had proper funding for that, so we had to drop the program after 10 years. But I believe we need to reconnect and reestablish that. And by doing that, this will give the young uh, kids of color an opportunity to get the exposure. As you and I know, Ted, exposure is everything. Yep. If you're not exposed, how do you obtain the experience? You know, it works. It's, it's like the left and the right hand talking to each other. You know, expose the kids, give them an opportunity to learn this wonderful game that they never thought yeah. that they would learn to play in a million years. Yeah, yeah, you you hit it right on the head. I've said this for many, many years. You know, when I think of so many other sports, you, you mentioned a few of them, and there's obviously others and other activities that are introduced in the school system in general, um, you know, and yet golf is not. And I understand golf is a little bit more expensive than some of your other sports. I mean, it's a lot more expensive to get a, a set of golf clubs than it is to, to buy a football or a baseball and a baseball bat and so on and so forth. Um, but I, with the money that is generated through the tours and through the big organizations like companies like Callaway, Titleist, and so on, they could very easily funnel some of those funds. Uh, Nike did that years ago in basketball, funneling money into uh, a lot of programs like you're talking about, introducing the game to a lot of uh, young men and women who would have never had access otherwise and I think that's what it's going to take. It's going to take corporations and government to some level introducing it into a school program. And I'll give you a good example. There was a friend of mine who you may be familiar with, um, Byron Casper, who, of course, is son of legendary Billy Casper. And he talked about how, uh, you know, he uh, was, uh, you know, at a, uh, uh, an event where they had a group of youngsters uh, there, roughly about 100. And, um, you know, that very question was posed about golf. And, very few of them raise their hands up because they're not exposed to it. And, you know, to go to your point, we need to find a way to integrate it into, and particularly, as you pointed out, into the inner city schools where they don't even have any exposure at all to country clubs or golf in general, uh, generationally through their families. Um, and again, many of the programs you mentioned, a lot of the juniors, first tee and that, they're great programs, but they're very definitive in how, uh, and ex how they're accessible. So I agree with you. I think uh, you hit it right on the head. Um, I think we've got to find a way of integrating it into um, that level of school system at an elementary level and just introduce them to the game. And once that spark is lit in that child, it's amazing. I mean, you know yourself, that first time you get out there and you hit a pretty decent golf ball, you're hooked. I mean, you're just, wow, I mean, I want to do this again. And I think that's all it's going to take, but it's the exposure and the opportunity has to be given uh, in the first place. Um, any Absolutely. final thoughts? That you want to... yeah, well, go ahead. let me share this with you, Ted. Uh, it was quite an honor to be able to be a coach for Golf Squad. They approached me three years ago, and they're from the Carolinas, uh, Seren and Jeff. I spoke with Jeff yesterday, 
and they shipped out two boxes of clubs, all the trinkets, and they had me assigned to two elementary schools here in San Diego, but they were not inner city. And what we found out, because I started doing the homework on the behalf of Golf Squad, and what we found out is that there are different uh, areas in San Diego that did not even want golf to be a part of the curriculum. And so yeah. it, 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 it starts from the, the, the school system. The school system, uh, for those that are non-golfers that are employed by the school system, they have no interest in getting this game of golf into many of the schools throughout the county here in San Diego or the city of San Diego because most of the inner city schools are in the city. But uh, right. with that being said, that's what I would love to see uh, happen. And, again, it starts from top with the school districts mm-hmm. and then also, you know, approaching a lot of the golf industries saying, hey, this is what we can do to provide the equipment, and let's go out there and have some fun and introduce this wonderful game to uh, kids of color. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's, uh, again, you know, we always hear this buzz phrase in the industry, growing the game. Well, there's a great way to do just that. Uh, and I think you're exactly right. And, and again, it, it's, it's like a team effort. Even though golf is an individual sport, it's a team effort. Everybody, all, all uh, uh, you know, uh, engines have to be uh, have to be working in the same direction. And I think that that's something. And, you know, just very finally, I want to make this quick point, and then I'm going to give you an opportunity to uh, share with the listeners how they can get a copy, where they can go to get a copy of your book uh, and any final thoughts. But um, what, what I would like to see, you know, happen uh, in, in this industry is I would like to see those initiatives taking place. And I think it can be done. I think it's just a matter of, um, you know, taking advantage. Unfortunately, we've gone through a very uh, difficult situation over the last year and a half with this pandemic. But one positive thing that came out of this, as far as the golf industry is concerned, that they have seen a, a very substantial uptick in people coming out to golf, um, obviously partially because there, you know, there wasn't anything to do for a little while. And so people came to the only game really that was available for a long time. And I hope that the industry does not waste this opportunity by going through the same motions that they've done for the last 40, 50 years and use this as an opportunity to really grow the game and reach out to those communities, as you suggested, um, that have not been reached out to yet. So I hope they take advantage of this uh, you know, situation and seize that opportunity to really grow the game in areas that they haven't done. Um, where can the folks get, your, uh, get your, a copy of your book if they're uh, wanting to do that? And um, yeah. any final thoughts before we close out? Yes, absolutely. So you can purchase my book through Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Google Play, Apple iTunes, Walmart.com just picked up my book along with Target.com, so I'm really excited about that. And a final thought, because this is Breast Cancer Month, I just want to reach out Mm -hmm. to those that have gone through cancer as survivors, for those who have lost uh, their loved ones, family and friends through cancer. Uh, Cancer knows no boundaries, and it does not discriminate. It does not recognize social status, and it does not care about age or gender. 
So over 20,000 people die each year from cancer. So it scares you, and it's understandable. But what I like to say is that I like for everyone to protect themselves by going out, visiting your doctors, getting your yearly mammogram, getting your yearly mammogram. However, when you are trying to avoid cancer or beat it, if you have it, there's only one very powerful antidote to the fear and and to this deadly disease itself is knowledge. Yes. Become knowledge, knowledgeable. Know your body. Pay attention to your body. You know, uh, I'm just thankful for the American Cancer Society to help me break par in my fight for cancer. You know, they provided me with a wealth of information uh, to include treatment, and support, and I was able to put together a game plan. So I, I, I like to say I like to engage, empower, and encourage everyone out there to take it upon yourself to get your yearly mammogram. I couldn't so agree more. Can live long, yeah, so you too can live longer and better and, and have a better life and enjoy and be here with your family and friends. I, I, again, I couldn't agree more. Um, if you want to live the life of a champion, then I would strongly encourage you, uh, meaning the listeners, to uh, get a copy of Avis's book, Building of a Champion. It's available at uh, Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, Walmart.com, and now Target.com, as well as other locations. Uh, get a copy. There's a lot of great information, a lot of wisdom, and her story is in there, um, and I think it's worth it for you to get yourself a copy and maybe gift a copy to somebody special in your life. Avis, thank you very, very much for joining me this evening on, on Golf Talk Live. It's been a pleasure, um, and I definitely yeah, would love I to have really you come. I, w- I, I did as well, and I hope you'll come back and visit me. And um, now that you are out there and teaching this great game, uh, go out and have fun and enjoy it, and uh, maybe we'll see some more champions uh, come out in the future. But thank you. God bless uh, you. And, and we're so thankful that uh, you are uh, a survivor uh, and a champion. And uh, please come back well, and visit thank me real you. soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Ted. I really appreciate you taking this time to allow me to be your guest. And I just want to say one last thing uh, to the listeners that I am a motivational speaker. And so if you're interested in the ABR Golf Extravaganza, feel free to reach out to me at avisbrown82 at gmail.com. Love to come out to speak, to do an autograph signing, and to encourage and share uh, my amazing journey and support you all. All right. Once again, thank you very much for being my special guest. And you are welcome back anytime, Avis. Thank you. God bless. And have a great rest of your week and weekend. We'll talk to you real soon. Thank you, Ted. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. That was uh, author of Building of a Champion and LBJ Teaching a Club Professional member, uh, Avis Brown-Riley, uh, my very special guest. Also, a special thank you to Jamie Leno-Zimron and Paul Castor for joining me a little bit early on for an interesting discussion on Coach's Corner. I will be back next week uh, here on Golf Talk Live with another uh, panel discussion on Coach's Corner and another insightful interview with my special guest. I hope you'll tune in. God bless everybody. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. 
We'd like to thank this week's Coach's Corner panel, and a special thank you to tonight's guest. Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. And be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on Golf Talk Live, send Ted an email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.